Shalom. Welcome to the New Millennium Edition of the Torah Teaching. This audio program is produced by Lion and Lamb Ministries and is presented by Monty Judah. We're coming to the end of the Torah. We're coming to the end of the book of Deuteronomy. We're coming to the end of Moses' life. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but our own legal system considers the words that are spoken from a man who is at the last of his days to be the most truthful words that a man can speak. In fact, in the legal terms, they call it a dying declaration. They consider a man who's on his deathbed about to die that whatever he speaks there, it's the truth. And they consider with great weight a man, the final words that he might say uh, coming to the conclusion of his life. Moses knows he's coming to the conclusion of his life. These words here that are in these last portions are almost like his deathbed declaration. Now, Moses was full of vigor. His eye was not dim. He was not about to die in the physical sense, but he knew his days were coming to a conclusion. This, this uh, week I spoke with uh, another brother out on the East Coast, and he was sharing with me that little teaching back there in Genesis about when God was instructing Moses that he would not put up with man any longer just before the flood and that he would limit uh, the man to 120 years. I don't know if you know this or not, but almost every preacher goes out and teaches that uh, Noah had 120 years to prepare for the flood. And it's just not true. The fact is that Noah was 500 years old when he was told to build the ark and the flood began when he was 600 years old. That's 100 years. So what is this business about the 120 years thing that was being spoke there? There was, a, in effect, a prophecy. There was a prophecy that said man so, God is so fed up with man, he's going to limit his days to 120 years. Moses will be the man who will institute, going back into the book of Genesis, that thing. Since the days of Moses, men have not lived past 120 years. And few people realize that that's that passage, how that comes across that way. And that was such an eye-opener. This brother was sharing with me, who's in the ministry, he was sharing with me how that was a very startling thing. And it was hard for a lot of preachers to go back and, well, let's see, he was 500 years old when he started. He was 600. I guess it wasn't 120 years. So what's that 120-year thing? Well, that 120-year thing is something that has a bearing on us, something that had a bearing on the life of Moses and those that are after the reason I mention that to you is that there are certain words that are in here in this Torah portion that have more of a bearing on us than they had on the children of Israel. As it starts off, it says, you stand today, all of you, before the Lord your God, your chiefs, your tribes, your elders, your officers, even all the men of Israel, your little ones, your wives, the alien who is with you in your camp, and the one who chops your wood to the one who draws your water that you may enter into the covenant with the Lord your God and into his oath, which the Lord your God is making with you today, in order that he may establish you today as his people and that he may be your God, just as he spoke to you as he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, not with you alone am I making this covenant and this oath, but both with those who stand here with us today in the presence of the Lord our God and with those who are not with us here today. Who's he referring to? Not referring to the fathers. 
He's referring to descendants. There are other people who were not there who are going to, they're going to uh, have the benefit, the blessing, or the curse that will come from this oath and this covenant. There are others, the descendants of those people, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They are part of this oath. They are part of this covenant. Folks, I have news for you. Let me just cut to the chase. It's about you and me, too. We are included in these words that Moses is speaking of. So Moses is coming to the end of his life. He's specifically addressing something that was to them and to us to this day. So whatever he has to say, it must be pretty significant. So let us look and see what he says. Verse 16, for you know how we lived in the land of Egypt and how we came through the midst of the nations through which you passed. Moreover, you have seen their abominations and their idols of wood, stone, silver, and gold, which they had with them. Lest there be any among you, a man or a woman or a family or a tribe, whose heart turns away today from the Lord our God to go and to serve gods of those nations, lest there should be among you a root bearing poisonous fruit and wormwood. And it shall be when he hears the words of this curse that he will boast and say, I have peace, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. And freeze right there for a moment. Moses is talking to men who live today. He's saying, I have something to tell you about this oath and this covenant. This thing about blessing and curse. You've heard about the curse. You've heard about how the children of Israel came up out of the nations. You've heard how the other nations, how they have done falsely before the Lord. You know all these things. Now I have something to say to you. Should there be any one of you who shall say, I shall have peace and have a stubborn heart before God. Now, first of all, let's stop back and let's say, examine what, what exactly is that? How, how is it that you say, I have peace, but I have a stubborn heart before God? Well, let me give you a real-world example. That's the person who says, I'm saved. I know the Lord. But I don't have to obey the Lord. I'm not going to do what God has commanded, even though I claim to know Him. I have the peace of God within me, but I have a stubborn heart toward Him. Let me tell you what he says about that person. Verse 20, the Lord shall never be willing to forgive him, but rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will burn against that man and every curse which is written in this book will rest on him and the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. I have news for you. If you think that you're going to play a game with God in which that you say, well, I humbled my heart once. I called upon the name of God. I received his salvation. His spirit is now dwelling in me. I have the peace of God. I have the assurance of salvation. And I'm going to go ahead and be stubborn. And I will not obey the Lord. I will not learn and follow him. I will do what I want to do. I have news for you. Your name will be blotted out. You are not going to play this game with the Lord. God doesn't play this game. 
There is no sacrifice in the law where it says that a man could go out willfully sin, then run into the temple real quick and do a sacrifice and get that thing over with and go on about his business. There is no sacrifice that will cover that. Do not think, brethren, do not think that just because you accepted Yeshua, that that's it. Now, Yeshua has the power to save you. No question about it. And his mercy and his forgiveness will cover you. But I tell you that every day you get up and you make the decision whether you will trust and believe in him. Every day you make the decision whether you will walk with the Lord. And you better hope that the grace of God recognizes that's what you're trying to do and your heart is inclined toward and his grace and unmerited favor and his mercy continues to wash you and keep you under that atonement and covering. Do not think yourself so smug that you have God all figured out and you think that you're going to stand there at the judgment day and argue Bible verses and theology with God. He's not going to argue with you. He knows your heart. You're inclined to the evil. You're playing an outward game with your life on the outside with the Lord. Fine. That will work with us men. It's not going to work with him. He knows your heart. And if you're stubborn and inclined toward him to not obey him, you call him Lord, but you won't obey. Do not think that you will get away with this. I'm not making this teaching up. This is the exact teaching of Yeshua. Where in Matthew 7, he specifically said, Not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, will be entering into the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many in that day will say unto me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in thy name? Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in thy name? Lord, Lord, did we not do many miracles in your name? And then I will say to them, Depart from me who work iniquity, who are lawless, for I never knew you. That's, that's Yeshua, you know, the one who saves us. That's what he says. That's what Moses is giving us the instruction on. This business of salvation, brethren, I have news for you. You are scarcely saved. If it weren't for the tiniest bit of faith that you had toward him and his great mercy and his great grace, you wouldn't stand a chance. Why is it that men who have walked with the Lord for years, who've studied the Scripture, have walked with God, that the more they come to know and understand Him, the more they are humbled to realize how great a salvation this is. That their knowledge is, is of none avail concerning these things. That this is serious that this great salvation that God gives to us is nothing, is absolutely nothing that we should in any wise trample underfoot or disregard. I would remind you of the verse in Hebrews 10. If anyone sets aside the law of Moses, without mercy he receives death on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much more severe will it be if a man tramples underfoot the Son of God? If you walk away from these commandments in the stubbornness of heart, these testify against you, you'll receive death. You will die. 
How much more severe will it be if you trample underfoot the Son of God, who's come with grace and mercy, has provided, given his own life, so that you might have life? And then you treat that in a cavalier manner. And you say, oh, the grace of God will prevail for me. Should we sin so that grace may prevail? So we can see how big God's grace is? God forbid, the scripture says. God forbid it. That's not a simple no. Under no circumstances would we want to test that. It's life and death. The Lord is very serious about his salvation. He has paid the price for every person to receive it. I don't know if you realize this or not, but I truly believe that had there only been one person who would have ever received the salvation, Yeshua would have done it. He didn't do it because he thought a lot would do it. He did it so that certain ones would receive it. Now, if you're going to be one of those ones, you're going to be one who recognizes what Yeshua has done for you. And you're going to consider that to be valuable to you. And you're going to value his life and entreat it with honor and worship him as Lord. The sacrifice that was made for you. And you will not treat it as some theological argument. Now, Moses is pretty specific about that. He uh, kind of adds there a little bit, verse 21, Then the Lord will single him out for adversity from all the tribes of Israel, according to all the curses of the covenant, which are written in this book of the law. That's kind of interesting. The Lord, if he, if he sees a man who's doing that, he will heap it on him. He'll lay curse upon him, curse upon him, curse upon him. You know why? He's trying to get him to repent. He's trying to let him know, you can't be in the truth, pal, because you ain't getting no blessing. There's no blessing in your life. There ought to be something ringing a bell up here and saying, hey, you know, something's not right. You know, I, I was supposed to believe in the Lord, and the Lord has blessings. I ain't getting no blessing. There's something wrong. You can't be the Lord. must be me. Maybe he goes back and he asks the Lord, what's wrong, Lord? And the Lord says, well, let's just make sure we don't have a cavalier manner about all of this. Let's make sure you're the man and I'm the God. Let's get that straight first. And yes, there is a wonderful salvation. There is forgiveness of sin. But that's not a license for you to go out and sin. That's not a license for you to treat it as and devalue it. So the first thing that the first thing that Moses wants to say to us is, hey, guys, don't be so smug as to think that you've got it all figured out. I have news for you. You better hope that God does this great work of salvation and that you're included, because that's the only way that you're going to get saved. It will not be by you sitting around saying, well, I, I have peace in my life. I, I know God. I'm sorry, that won't get it. There better be something more than that that's in your heart. Verse 22, now the generation to come, your sons who rise up after you and the foreigner who comes from a distant land, when they see the plagues of the land and diseases with which the Lord has afflicted it, will say, all its land is brimstone and salt, a burning waste, unsown and unproductive and has no grass grows in it. 
like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adama and Zebulim, which the Lord overthrew in his anger and in his wrath. And all the nations will say, why has the Lord done this to the land? Why this great outburst of anger? Then men shall say, because they forsook the covenant of the Lord and the God of our fathers, which he made with them, that he brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they went and served other gods and worshipped them and gods whom they had not known, whom he had not allotted to them. Therefore, the anger of the Lord burned against that land to bring upon it every curse which is written in this book. And the Lord uprooted them from their land in anger and in fury and in great wrath and cast them into another land as it is this day. I want you to stop and think. A little time lock here. These words were spoken approximately 3,500 years ago, and these words have been true for the last 2,000 years. I think Moses kind of had it figured out. He knew that my ancestors, our ancestors, would go into the land, that we would get the blessing, and we would turn away from the Lord that we would have to be judged, that we would have to be scattered into the nations, and that hopefully from there would we be called again to come back to the Lord. One of the interesting things that we deal with in a messianic assembly and messianic congregation is those of the sons of Israel who come bubbling back out of the woodwork, who've been smoked out a little bit by the Lord and called by the Holy Spirit, and it turns out that they have a little bit of Jewish background. And they wrestle with and deal with, well, do I, do I belong to Israel? Are some of my ancestors those people? And we deal with that. You know why we deal with that? Because these words are written to their descendants. This applies to us. This applies to us. You know what it says? I want to show you a very strange verse. Chapter 29, verse 29. Listen to this. It's, it's just kind of plopped right in here in the middle of this portion. Listen to this. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of this law. Secret things belong to the Lord. But the things revealed belong to us. This book and these books and this Bible, I have news for you. It's full of secret things. There is, I mean, God wrote this. And he has some amazing wisdom and understanding and knowledge about the world and life and how things work. And in here, if you were to go in here and pursue this, you will discover, as all of the men before who poured their hearts into this, where they found their life. They found their thoughts in these words. There's a wonderful verse in Psalms 40, verse 7. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the scroll. It is written of me. David wrote that. Yeshua quoted it. He said, that's talking about me, Yeshua. I am telling you that inside of these words are secret things about Yeshua and things that involve us. And I'm talking specifically this generation. Now, it's already applied to other peoples before, but I'm saying it also applies to this generation. There are secret things in here about us and about God. Listen with me. With that little preamble... 
chapter 30, verse 1. So it shall be when all of these things have come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I have set before you, and you call it to mind in all the nations where the Lord your God has banished you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and soul, according to all that I command you today, you and your sons, then the Lord God will restore you from captivity, have compassion on you, will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are at the ends of the earth, from there the Lord will gather you back, and from there he will bring you back. Now, let's just stop a little bit for world history. After Moses did these words, the children of Israel crossed over the River Jordan, went into the land of Israel. We had the time of the judges, had the time of the kings, the prophets, and so forth. All kinds of troubles began to happen. Uh, the northern kingdom split off from the southern kingdom. They went into Assyrian captivity. Judah went into Babylonian captivity. They came back, had the Romans come in. Yeshua came in. The Messiah presented himself, uh, rejected him. Uh, we, uh, the Romans came in, we had a big siege with them, and finally the Romans kicked us out of the land. We've been scattered in the nations ever since. And we've been scattered all over the world. There's not a nation in the world that doesn't have some Jewish people in it. I don't know if you've ever seen a world census data for Jewish people. Every nation in the world, every one of them, has a small contingent of Jewish people or people of Israel. Man. Nobody has ever been scattered in the world like these people have. Moses said he would scatter them in every nation. And God has certainly done that. And just as true as those things are that we see in our day, he says, in the day that we see that, if we will return to the Lord, that means return to this covenant, this oath, these commandments. If we will do it, the Lord from wherever we are at, will do something very interesting. He will return us to the land. Well, folks, I have news for you. We've been watching that already happen. In 1948, Israel became a nation again. Most of European Jewry moved back to the land of Israel. And there's been Jews coming from every nation back to the land of Israel. But there's something further he said here. He said not just coming back to the land. He says... If you will return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and soul, according to all that I command you. I have news for you. I've been to Israel. Very few people over there, Jewish people, my brethren, believe in the Lord. I would certainly give you the testimony that I have not seen my brethren return to the Lord and obey him with their heart and soul. Now, I've got some Orthodox brethren over there. Who, who say that, who claim that, but I have a little problem believing they really have returned to the Lord if they still can't recognize who the King of Israel and who the Lord is. And they haven't returned to the Messiah. I have a little difficulty understanding how they fully returned to the Lord yet. But for the rest of the secular Jews in the land of Israel, they've returned to the land, but I've not yet seen them turn their hearts back over to the Lord. Now, I've seen many Messianic brethren who are starting to do it, I see it starting to happen. And in fact, these were the words that caused me to believe there had to be a spiritual return getting ready to happen. That there had to be Jews starting to believe that Yeshua is the Messiah again and return to him and that they would have the testimony that they believe in Yeshua and they keep his commandments. That they've returned to this. And by the way, that's what the book of Revelation says that the believers in the great tribulation will be. 
Revelation 12 and Revelation 14 says the believers then, the saints then, and the tribulation will be those who hold to the testimony of Yeshua and keep his commandments. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like churchmen to me. Something's happening. Something is happening in our days that was spoken of by the prophet Moses. These words are suddenly very applicable to us. Listen to this great blessing that the Lord is going to give to us. Then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity, have compassion on you, and gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are at the ends of the earth, my Bible says, that's verse 4. What do you have in your Bible? Automotive parts of heaven. In some translations, it says the sky. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me make sure I got this right. By the way, the real translation there is sky or heaven. That's what it says in the Hebrew. Your, if your outcasts are at the end of the heavens. Now, what, what in the world is Moses talking about here? I mean, you know, I understand the scattered Jews and all the nations and so forth, but what, what is that? By the way, he just before said, yes, I'll gather all those ones for the nations from all the peoples of the world. But what is this phrase in verse 4? If your outcasts are at the ends of the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you. From there he will bring you back. No, not astronauts. Let me show you the verse. Let me show you where Yeshua spoke of this. Matthew chapter 24. In verse 29, it says this. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of heaven will be shaken, and then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. I don't know if you realize it, but that's a verse about the second coming. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 4, is a verse about the second coming. Moses said, not only will there be a gathering of Israel from all of the nations, but there's going to be a big gathering that's going to take place, and it's going to be everybody who belongs to the Lord will be coming from the four ends of the sky and the four ends of the earth, and we'll all be gathered to the land together. Yeah, that's right. Did you know Moses was talking about the second coming? Did you know Moses was talking about at the end when you start to see those people coming back to the land? Those would be the days that those people would see this big gathering of God. And that when it says here, verse 5, And the Lord your God will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. And he will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul in order that you may live. Now, quite honestly, brethren, not one group of people have kept that commandment in 3,500 years. 
How in the world are we going to keep the greatest commandment? To love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our might. You know what? I think there's only one way we're going to be able to do it, and that's after Yeshua returns. That's what Moses is saying. When that day comes, you really will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. It'll be the millennial kingdom. God will be king of Israel. The day's coming when he says that we'll all be gathered, and that's when we'll obey. That's when we will be blessed beyond our fathers, anything they ever imagined. We will be in the land. We will possess the land that God has promised to us. We will have really crossed over the River Jordan then, as you might say. And he says, moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, in order that you may live. Not just live a little bit. I'm talking about live forever and ever. Now, Moses saw this was coming. He could, he could tell. He looked out over the children of Israel, that second generation. The older generation had died in the wilderness, but these were the ones who would be crossing over the River Jordan. And he said, listen, I'm talking not only to you, but to others who are not standing here. And here's what's going to happen. You're going to go over, and all these things are going to happen. And in the end, when it has all come together, we will really be in the land. Then we will really be in the land. Then we will obey the Lord. Then we will be prospered by God. Then God will have compassion on us. That will be the day. That will be the day when we have really been gathered. He says, and he goes on to say, verse 7, And the Lord your God will inflict all these curses on your enemies and on those who hate you, who persecuted you, and you shall again obey the Lord and observe all his commandments, which I command you today. I have, you know, I have a real problem with those guys that think all these commandments went away. We're going to be keeping them in the millennial kingdom. Of course, if, you're not, if you don't want to keep them, maybe you don't have to be there in the millennial kingdom. Maybe you can be somewhere else. There's a famous bumper sticker over in Israel I remember when I visited there a year ago. And it just was kind of simple. It, I didn't have the bravery to bring one back, but it, there in Israel, I guess you can use it. It says there's a lot of Jews in heaven. If you don't like to be around Jews, maybe you'll have to go someplace else. There's going to be a lot of commandments in the millennial kingdom. These commandments. You don't like these commandments? Maybe you should get yourself another God. Find some other place to go. Keep his commandments. Well, if, if, we're, if we're looking for the Lord our God, the God of Israel, these do apply to us. They're going to apply to us in the millennial kingdom. And by the way, we're the generation that's going to make the transition, and we're going to keep those commandments. Might as well start learning to keep them now so you don't look so ignorant when the Lord comes back. <laughs> You know, I've always told a lot of audiences, that you, you guys need to start keeping Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. Start finding out what it's like. It's the first holiday we're supposed to celebrate in the Millennial Kingdom. I don't want you showing up there in Jerusalem. The Messiah has come back. You're saved. You're there in the Millennial Kingdom. And you're walking up to me and say, Monty, what are these booths? What are we supposed to do with them? Hey, this belongs to you. 
these are your holidays. This is your God. You're supposed to know something about it. Maybe you should learn. Maybe you should find out what the Lord expects of you so you can be part of his family, since you're going to call him your father. It goes on to say here, verse 9, Then the Lord your God will prosper you abundantly in all the work of your hand. Listen to this. This is millennial kingdom stuff. In the offspring of your body, in the offspring of your cattle, in the produce of your ground. For the Lord will again rejoice over you for good, just as he rejoiced over your fathers. If you will obey the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in this book of the law, if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. For this commandment, which I command you today, is not too difficult for you, nor is it out of reach. I want to stop there. You know what the major objection is with our brethren when you talk about keeping the commandments of God, when you mention the subject of law? You know, I mean, it's like, it's just like a scary word. Nobody can keep the law. No, nobody can do that. Well, the Lord says, gee, it's not that difficult. It's not out of your reach. He, you know, he said, it's not in heaven that you should say, who will go up to heaven for us and get it for us and make us hear it that we may observe it? Nor is it across the sea that you should say, who will cross the sea for us and get it and make us to hear it that we may observe it? But the word is very near to you in your mouth, in your heart, that you may observe it. For the people that are in the new covenant, you will have no excuse with regard to, I didn't know about the commandments of the Lord because the people who enjoy the new covenant have the commandments of God written right on the tablets of their heart all you had to do was turn inward with your heart and say Lord what would you want me to do and they're there you know now others in the previous they had to go to the prophet they had to go to the priest they had to go to the temple they had to go to the wise man who gave them instruction and told them but god has now taken those commandments and put them inside of you you don't need to go to jerusalem and go to the temple and go to the holy of holies to find those commandments they're right here you don't have to cross an ocean you don't have to send somebody to heaven to go get another set of tablets and come back and to tell you you know the commandments. They're in your heart. In fact, you talk about them all the time. They're in your mouth. They're easy to keep. I've said this before. I'll say it again. Two Jews sitting around talking. One says, how can we possibly keep all the commandments of God? And the other guy answers, and he says, one at a time. It's not hard. It's not hard. Thank God you don't have to keep all of the imperatives that are in the book of uh, the New Testament. There's only 727 there. There's only 613 back in the Torah. And Yeshua refers only to the 613. If you love me, keep those commandments. This is not hard. This is not difficult. You know, but today, brethren, quite honestly, the thing that we struggle with, and as I've gone and visited to all the various communities, you know what the number one struggling issue amongst believers has to do with is, is, it, is one guy stands up in the assembly and he starts to obey the Lord. He starts to actually, hey, there's a commandment. 
And he starts to obey that commandment. And his brethren argue against him for keeping it. His religious, his Christian brethren. You're being legalistic. You're keeping the commandments of God. Excuse me, a tilt? Wait a minute, let me back up. This guy's a believer in God, right? Yeah. You believe that you should obey the Lord? Yes. Do you believe that you should obey this commandment of the Lord? No! What happened? What's the breakdown here? I'll tell you what the breakdown is here. They don't believe Moses. Now, Yeshua said in his day, had you believed Moses, you would have believed also in me. How is it possible for a man to believe in Yeshua and not believe in Moses? Answer that for me. How is it possible for you to understand that he is your Passover sacrifice, that he is the acceptable sacrifice to cover your sin, to be your atonement? If you've rejected the teaching of Moses concerning how God makes an atonement for sin, how is that possible? Where would you get that wisdom from? How is it that you stand up and you say, oh, I believe in Yeshua, but I, I don't have anything to do with Moses? Yeshua identified with Moses. You know, Yeshua would say the same thing to the man today. You don't believe in me because you don't believe in Moses. You don't believe the words because Moses didn't just speak his words. He spoke my words. And if you don't believe my words back there, you don't believe in me. That's what he told the religious Jews. He said, you don't believe in me? Don't tell me you believe in the Father because the Father and I are one. You don't believe in God. The same thing works today. If you claim that you believe in Jesus and you don't believe in the Father, you don't believe in Jesus. If you claim to believe in Jesus but you don't believe in the Holy Spirit, you don't believe in Jesus. You claim to believe in the Holy Spirit, but you don't believe in Jesus or the Father. You don't believe in God. I don't know what theological game you're playing, but you don't believe. I love to sit down and have theological discussions with men concerning this point. They always start off when they know where I kind of stand. They always start and they say, well, you know, I really don't believe. And I just tell them, stop, stop, freeze right there. You just said it all. I don't care what you're going to add after that, but you've just stated it. You don't believe. And that's the problem. That's the problem. These words were spoken by Moses directly to us in this day. These words specifically prophesied these would be the events that would happen to Israel. This is what God would do in the end of days. Very few Bible teachers believe this. What they say is, God rejected Israel. Israel is no more. God got divorced. Hey, you know, everybody gets divorced, so why not have God get divorced? God got divorced, and when we got married to him. And God ain't got any more plans having to do... Well, he's got one plan. He's going to just slaughter them, you know, at Jacob's trouble. In the Great Tribulation, they'll probably have to get their heads cut off to get saved. And that's about as much as they're willing to give to him. I have news for you. Moses specifically spoke of all these things that have happened throughout the ages that we have seen, that we've seen in the history. And even to this day, Moses clearly spoke about the second coming. Yeshua made reference to it. 
Yeshua made reference to these words, and he said, had you believed in Moses, you would have believed also in me. That's my number one complaint that I have against rabbis. They don't teach Moses. I've told them that. So you and I would get along fine if you would teach Moses. I had a very interesting uh, telephone call, and, and I want to share just a, a bit of it with you. I think he was a young gentleman called me, and he got on the phone, and he immediately said, I don't believe in Jesus. Uh, and I said, well, what do you believe in? He said, well, I'm, I'm kind of into Judaism and the Torah and the teaching of Moses. I said, really? I said, well, so am I. I said, well, what, what exactly do you really believe? And he started to rattle on about a whole bunch of theology. And I said, wait a minute, no, 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 no. No, you misunderstood my question. I'm asking, what do you believe in? I'm not, I'm not asking, what is your assessment of Judaism and Christianity and Islam and everything else that's going on out there? What do you believe in? And he said, well, I believe that, that God is a spirit and that there's a spiritual being in every one of us. And I said, you know, I believe that too. I said, you and I are in agreement on that. I said, do you believe that God has ever tried to reveal himself to us, that he's trying to do that now? And he kind of thought there for a minute, and he, he said, well, yeah, I, yeah I, I think God has tried to reveal himself to us. And I said, are you familiar with the story of the Exodus and how Moses and Aaron went before Pharaoh and before the Egyptians? And he said, I'm here from the God of the Hebrews, Adonai, let my people go. And Pharaoh turned to the scribes, and he said, because they had lots of gods in Egypt. And he turned to the scribes and he says, I haven't heard of any Adonai, God of the Hebrews. He says, have you got anything in the books about that? And they looked through the books. They couldn't find a thing about Adonai, God of the Hebrews. And so he turned and he said, I do not know Adonai, God of the Hebrews. Therefore, I will not let the people go. And how Moses and Aaron, from that point on, with all of the judgments, it was to instruct Moses so that he might know the Lord. And that as each judgment came, it was said, so Pharaoh, you might know the Lord that he's not like any other God you've ever heard of. And he sat there and he said, yeah, that makes sense. I think God has been trying to reveal himself to us. And I said, do you remember how that when God took us to the mountain, that he spoke with his mouth? And we as a people, we heard his commandments. And he told us about himself and what we should do and how we should obey and walk before the Lord. Yes, yes, I remember. Yeah, that's right. I said, do you remember how the people were afraid? When they heard the voice of God, they would say he, God was being made manifest so strongly they couldn't stand it. And he said, yes, I remember. Do you remember what he promised? He said that he would send a prophet, raise him up from among our countrymen. He would come and tell us about the Lord. And I said, well, friend, I said, you need to keep studying the Torah. Because it's the truth. And it will lead you to Yeshua. Because Yeshua said, had you believed in Moses, you would believe in me. I said, so you need to learn to believe in Moses and take him at his word. And then you'll figure out what Yeshua has done. It's in accordance with what Moses said. I hope that I get to meet him. I hope he'll come and pursue. But in that real short time, he turned. And instead of being hard and crusted and and so forth, he said, you have almost persuaded me that he is. Well, I hope that he's fully persuaded by the Holy Spirit soon. Brethren, but I would take to the case of us, whereas we have heard these words, and we have said that we are believers of it, and we have, and so, and, and we have been inclined to do it. Have we really believed it? Do we really believe it? Or are we smug? 
And if we've grown accustomed to the sounds of the words and we've grown stubborn in our heart, we don't trust the Lord. Oh, we, we got our theology figured out. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to, I believe, I believe Yeshua, he's the Messiah. But, you know, I, I got my eternal life and I don't, I don't need to learn to obey the Lord. I don't need to obey the Lord. Boy, that would be a big mistake for us to do. That would be as big a mistake as that young guy who wouldn't investigate further the claims of Yeshua. Because Moses teaches that you ain't going to get away with that. He's not going to get away with it without trusting him. We're not going to get away with it not believing and not obeying with regard to it. Verse 15 of chapter 30 says, See, I have set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments, his statutes, his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you are entering to possess it. But if your heart turns away and you will not obey, but are drawn away and worship after gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you are crossing the Jordan to enter and to possess it. I call heaven and earth to witness against you that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants, by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice, and by holding fast to him. For this is your life and the length of your days that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to give them. Every time I have taught the Torah in the most general sense, I have always explained there is there are three objectives in teaching the Torah to you. I am to teach you to love the Lord your God. I am to teach you to obey the Lord, obey his voice. And I am teaching you to cling to him. That's what it says right there in verse 20. That's what the whole purpose of the Torah, the teaching is. is to teach you to love the Lord. To teach you to obey the Lord. To teach you to cling to the Lord. Now, quite honest, brethren, a lot of people get to the loving of the Lord stuff, but they don't get past it. The fact is that I can go out, I will not find a disagreement with all of our brethren out there. They will all say, oh, yes, love the Lord. They all agree on that. All those who, who claim to belong to the Lord, they say, yes, we should love the Lord. But when it comes to the obeying part, now we start to struggle. Well, I don't know if I want to obey. See, that means that, you know, I have to surrender my will. You know, I, you know, I like being in control. You know, I love you a lot, God. You know, and besides that, we treat that like an emotion. You know, I'll be emotional with you, God. You know, I'll shed an appropriate tear at the right moment. I'll smile at the right moment. I'll express some emotion in your direction. Of course, that's not what loving the Lord means. But I'll, I'll use that. And I'll fake it. But just when it comes to the obeying stuff, I can't fake you. I can't, you know, some try to fake it out. You know, they'll obey in front of their brethren, but they don't obey at home in secret when only the Lord sees. 
Of course, in teaching you to obey, I'm supposed to teach you, you need to obey the Lord in at home first before you try to go out and show your righteousness to anyone else. Obey him there first. I think that's the reason why Sabbath is such a powerful commandment. It's one of those commandments you have to keep at home. You know, only God gets to see when you're ceasing from your labors and resting, you know, before him. Um, and as a result, you know, it's hard. It's hard to learn to obey the Lord. And I've shared with this assembly before. I remember as a young man at 20, I read those words and I said, oh, God, please. Obey? Come on. Let's cash in the grace account here, you know. Let's just take a bath in the grace. You know, and I don't have to obey. You know what? There's a whole bunch of people who believe that. They, they don't realize that the grace is to enable you to obey. As you attempt to go and learn to obey and you mess it up, the grace covers you. Because the Lord knows that your heart is intent toward Him. And even though you don't do it correctly and you don't know how to do it correctly, you, you still try to obey and the grace covers you. The grace is what makes up the difference for you to obey. And then the last part, to cling to the Lord. Since we're struggling with learning how to obey, you haven't been able to be instructed on how to cling. And that's tough, because in the great tribulation, you have to know how to cling to the Lord. Obeying the Lord won't do you any good. It's clinging to the Lord that will be your life. It's not because you love the Lord that you will live in the great tribulation, or because you obey the Lord. It's because you cling to Him, and He's your refuge in the face of everything coming at you, including the earth is not working so good. The whole planet you're setting on is not working well. But you say, I'll have a God who's bigger than the planet. And no, you know what to cling to. You don't even cling to the planet. By the way, you will be escaping the planet and coming back later on. You can't even be on this planet when the day of the Lord hits. So you better be hanging on to the Lord. The um, There's a very interesting Haftor portion that goes with this, and I don't normally spend a lot of time with the Haftor, but tonight I think it's most appropriate for this particular teaching. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 61. This is uh, this particular set of Haftors, the after the Torah portion. There has been seven of these, and this is the seventh one called the Haftor of Consolation. For the last seven Sabbaths. Has been a series of teachings from the prophet Isaiah. They call them the Haftorahs of Consolation because God is consoling. He's comforting. He's reassuring us who, where we stand with him. What's going to be happening? We'll be okay. Because they use these Haftorahs of Consolation when Moses starts talking about the blessing and the curse. They want to reassure the people for the last seven Sabbaths. Hey, in the end, we win. It's going to turn out okay. And this is a passage of the prophets which speak to this. 
Isaiah chapter 61, beginning at verse 10. This is the corresponding portion of the prophets that goes with this Torah teaching. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the Lord brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes the things sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before the nations. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not keep quiet until her righteousness goes forth like brightness, her salvation like a torch that is burning. And the nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory. And you will be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will designate. You will also have a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. It will no longer be said to you, forsaken, nor to your land. It will no longer be said, Desolate, but you will be called, My delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and to him your land will be married. For as a young man marries a virgin, so your sons will marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God will rejoice over you. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have appointed watchmen all day and all night. They will never keep silent. You who remind the Lord, take no rest for yourselves, and give him no rest until he establishes and makes Jerusalem. Jerusalem, a praise in the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his strong arm, I will never again give your grain as food for your enemies, nor will your foreigners drink your new wine for which you have labored. For those who garner it will eat it in the praise of the Lord, and those who gather it will drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. Go through, go through the gates, clear the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, remove the stones, lift up a standard over the peoples. Behold, the Lord has proclaim to the end of the earth. Say to the daughter of Zion, Lo, your salvation comes. Behold his reward with him and his recompense before him. And they will call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you will be called sought out, a city not forsaken. That's the verses about the second coming. When the Messiah comes back, they will say of the land of Israel, Never again will it be saying forsaken or desolate. Never again, that the people of God will be like the bride. Where'd you get that theme from? The bride of the Messiah, decked out, beautiful. It says pretty clearly there, that's a pretty good verse on the second coming. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, say to the daughters on, lo, your salvation comes. This is always a tricky verse for the rabbis. Because the word salvation is Yeshua. Lo, your Yeshua comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. That's where his Hebrew name is right there in the scripture. That's a verse about the second coming. You know, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. That's about the second coming. And it says when the Lord comes back, it will be a wonderful thing in the land of Israel. And it says he's going to gather all of his elect, all of his saints back. To the land. That passage there in the Haftor doesn't really end there. It continues on to chapter 63. And it's kind of interesting what it has there in chapter 63, beginning at verse 11. Then his people remembered the days of old of Moses. His people remembered about the teaching of Moses. And they asked these questions Where is he who brought them up out of the sea and the shepherds of his flock? 
Where is he who put his Holy Spirit in the midst of them, who caused his glorious arm to be at the right hand of Moses? Who divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name? Who led them through the depths? Like the horse in the wilderness, and they did not stumble. As the cattle which go down into the valley, the Spirit of the Lord gave them rest. So didst thou lead thy people to make for thyself a glorious name. Where is the God who led the children of Israel through the Red Sea? Where's the God who spoke from the mountain and gave his commandments and made a covenant with the people and said, You will be my people? Where's the God of Moses? Where's the God of Israel? Where's the God of the King of Israel, Yeshua? Where is he? It's when we begin to ask that question, where is that God? That things will begin to shift and change for us. And it says those are the people who will get ready for the coming of the Lord. Because the God who's coming back at the second coming is the same God. The same God. And we're going to see more miracles and more great events that will declare the name of our God than any other people or generation has ever seen of this God. And if you're not predisposed to love this God to obey this God and to cling to this God, you will be scared out of your ever-loving mind. And you won't even be able to get the words out of your mouth that our God is an awesome God. You will be speechless. That is what is getting ready to happen. Because when he starts gathering from the nations, the final gathering will be when he gathers them from the four corners of heaven. There will be no bounds for what our God is getting ready to do. Now, in the next tape that I'll do on the next portion, it deals with what Moses says in the very next chapter, in chapter 31. But let me give you just a foretaste. Let me give you just a foretaste so that you'll know just how far did Moses go here on this prophecy business. In chapter 31, it says in verse 10, Then Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, at the time of the year of remission of debts, at the Feast of Booths, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place which he will choose, you shall read this law in front of all Israel in their hearing. Guess what is the first feast that is to happen in the millennial kingdom? The Feast of Booths. And guess what you and I are going to be doing? We're going to have the law read to us by the Messiah. And he will begin to teach the Torah. And the greatest prophecy of the Millennial Kingdom is that the Torah shall go forth out of Zion and the word of the Lord out of Jerusalem. And that's where we will go and get our instruction. Isn't it interesting? Moses says, yeah, that's what we're going to be doing. Listen to what he says of this. Verse 29 of chapter 31. For I know that after my death you will act corruptly and turn from the way which I have commanded you, and evil will befall you in the latter days. And by the way, he's making reference to something different than when we were scattered in the nations. Because there's up here in these other verses when he talks about being scattered in the nations and he talks about being regathered. And then he says this, in the latter days, evil will befall you. There is a time 
a three-and-a-half-year period that will be at the end of this age called Jacob's Trouble. A time of tribulation, a time of distress as the world has never seen, when the enemy of God will be cast to the earth, and there he will be defeated. And it will be a very, very difficult time. And there are destinies for us. It says in the prophecy, it says that we will be oppressed, that our enemies will oppress us. They will weigh us down. And when we have come to the very end of our strength, when there's nothing left, that's when the Lord will come and save us and deliver us. Now, we talk about believing in God right now. And we talk about our theology of, of how one's supposed to believe from the heart, how one is supposed to believe with your behavior, and how one that should understand, you know, the concepts of God and his covenants and what he, the big plan of God and so forth. But I am telling you that for this generation, there's going to be a day coming when believing in God will be literally the definition of life itself to you. Because you will stare right in the face of death. And if God don't save you, you aren't going to live. And by the way, I have news for you. You're going to live. God's going to save you. He's going to deliver you. He's going to raise you up. And he's going to make his name glorious in the way that he does it. And there won't be any of us sitting around and arguing the theology of salvation and saying, well, you know, really for a guy to get saved, he really must believe in God and then get wet. <laughs> or you've got to go to the right church. Or you've got to say this exactly this way and then believe in God. That's how you get saved. No, in the days that are coming, brethren, you're going to cling to the Lord. And there's only going to be one salvation. And there will only be one God. And we will all be believing in him. And there will be many who will be struggling with it because they haven't learned yet. They haven't learned yet how to obey or how to cling to the Lord. And it'll be tough. It'll be hard. Can we trust God for food? Well, you know, the answer is yes. But there will be a lot of people who will be asking the question and they won't be so sure about it. You know, is, is God really going to defeat Satan? You know, I don't, you know, it looks like Satan's winning from what they see. The only thing that you'll have as evidence to convince you otherwise is what's written here. Because I tell you what, all the stuff that you'll see in the world, it'll look like it's going the other way. If you want to believe with your eyes, you'll believe the other thing. But if you'll believe with what you've heard from here, hero Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, then you'll have a chance. And it's like that all of this has been prepared. All of these things that have happened, all that has occurred before, is so that this one generation at the end that Moses is speaking to will believe the Lord. Now that, I don't know if you wanted to be a famous person, but you're here. You're the generation that will be here that will be answering the question when the Messiah comes back, will I find faith? Now, Joshua and Caleb were, the, were before. I'm just wondering how many Joshua's and Caleb's we'll have this day. Since we have the lessons learned from the things of the wilderness and the things that happened with the children of Israel. And we have the prophet Moses telling this is what was the plan. But will we believe? And will we let the words of, of uh, Moses and Yeshua penetrate us and realize that this is no happenstance. This is our life. 
By the way, Moses, coming to the end of his days, he says, guys, make a decision. Choose life. Choose the Lord. We are the people who are going to see if those words come true. I don't know if you've ever really thought about it, but... You know, God's going to have to do a lot of saving pretty quick. Things are going to get out of hand. Things are going to get chaos. And thank God we don't have to go 40 years through it. But three and a half years still seems like a pretty long time. A lot of things can happen in three and a half years in the world that we live in. Uh, The whole planet could be like coming to an end. Three and a half years. All we need is a couple of meteorites to hit us, which the prophecy says will happen. All we need is the sun to kind of blow up on us, which, by the way, it's starting to do that. All we have to do is have demonic powers cut loose. We got that going on. And then on top of that, let's just have God send in the heavy artillery from heaven to blow them all away, and we're going to be standing here. How's God going to know and make sure you don't get blasted? By the way, I heard a very interesting report. It's not been confirmed. You know that Chernobyl thing that happened over in Russia? There's a very interesting report that says that <clears throat> all the people who had a testimony to believe in God, they didn't die there. Lots of other people died there. But the people who believed in God... Their testimony is they didn't die at that Chernobyl thing. There's a lot of people that died over there. I mean, radiation and all that, I mean, that that affects everybody. How in the world did they live? How, How did they live? The interesting thing about Chernobyl is it means wormwood. I wonder if that's a precursor, kind of a sign to us that might be to encourage us to show, see, this is what will happen. It'll look like everybody's dying, but you'll live. And though a thousand fall on your left and ten thousand on your right, the plague won't enter into your tent. Oh, that would be interesting, wouldn't it? It looks like everybody's dying, but we don't die. You know, the Lord delivers us. Didn't quite know how he did it, but we just we just kept hanging in there with the Lord, and it worked out that way. This uh, passage, you'll find to be a very interesting passage from the Torah. Again, it comes down to the conclusion, and I call it the, the dying declaration of Moses. And there's some other prophetic things that Moses will talk to us about. It's very interesting that these are the teachings that always, every year, precede these holidays. Because as you observe and keep the holidays this year, brethren, I would hope that you would come to terms with the certain key teachings that come with those holidays that talk about this same subject that we're talking about. Because Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets, is about the trumpet blast of God that is the holy convocation when God gathers all his people from the four corners of heaven and the four corners of earth. And it's the great resurrection and the rapture. Isn't that interesting? Moses is teaching about the gathering just before Rosh Hashanah, you know, to set the stage for what that prophetic... And Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, which is on the 10th of Tishri, symbolizes prophetically the day of the Lord, the day that God judges the whole world. It's the day that we afflict our souls and we fast 
We do not celebrate and we take no joy in the fact that God would have to judge anyone. All of these holidays are lining up and they tell the prophetic picture of the return of the Messiah. And they correspond with the teaching of Moses who said, I'm talking to you in that last generation. I'm talking to you people and I'm telling you something very specific that affects you, will affect you. That he is going to gather you from everywhere. And there will be a time of evil that will come in the latter days upon you, Israel, that is way beyond anything that ever happened while you were scattered. Moses spoke of those things for us. These are the days. These are the days to believe. These are the days to believe in the teaching of Moses and believe in Yeshua to be the sacrifice and to be our Savior in these days. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this Sabbath. Thank you, Lord, for the teaching. And Lord, even as the name of the teaching means to take a stand, Lord, I would pray that you might move in our hearts, encourage us so that we might take a stand with you. You have specifically instructed that we, when we consider these days, that we are to pray that we may have the strength to stand when the Son of Man returns. Lord, I would pray that you would encourage all the people that are in this room, their families, their homes, that you would raise them up and you would put within the, the strength to take a stand, to choose life, and to believe in you, that you are really the Savior and that this is your great and grand plan for your name to be made known throughout all of the world. And Lord, we live in a world right now where many men in this world do not know you. They do not know about you. And we know, Lord, that it's your intent to come and judge the gods of this world so that every man would might know that you're Lord. And when it's all said and done, every knee will bow and proclaim you to be the one and only God. So, Lord, we, um, we look forward to that day, and we bow our knee and our heart before you even now, before it's revealed to the world, and we call you our God. And we thank you, Lord, for the sacrifice that you've made for us. We thank you, Lord, for your commandments. We thank you for your covenant. We thank you, Lord, that you choose to give us life and that you forgive us of our sins. So, Lord, as we uh, bow before you this evening, and as we consider the words that Moses has given to us by way of instruction, Lord, I would pray that you would cause us to be made wise under your ways, that you would fill us up with the knowledge and understanding of your person, that every person in this room would come to know you personally as their God, that we would call upon you personally. Lord, if there be anybody here who's not sure that they know you, I would pray that they would present themselves to us, that we might answer their questions, that they might come to know you. So, Lord, I thank you for the fellowship of this assembly. I thank you for every person who's come. And, Lord, I ask that you might raise us up and establish us to be a witness in this community and to minister to many. And we ask this all in the name of Yeshua, our coming King. Amen. For more information about Line and Line Ministries, call our office at 405 405- 447-4429. Our address is Post Office Box 720-968, Norman, Oklahoma, 73070. Our web address is www.lionlam.net. Thank you.